Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and hamsters everywhere looking at rats and saying, where's my tail? Where's my tail? <laughs> it's Thursday at 3 o'clock, and you know what that means? It's Tea with BBP. Live from Michigan State University campus, it's your host, Bill Van Patten, a.k.a. BBP, international superstar and diva of SLA. And speaking of tails, with me are the ever-smooth duo who know how to shake and wag like nobody's business, <laughs> Angelica Kramer and Walter Hopkins. Say hi, kids. Hi, kids. Hello. And you also have to say a belated Happy New Year. Belated happy New Year, everybody. Happy yeah. New Year. Because this is our first show of 2017, so I know everybody's yeah. back in classes yeah, and I stuff. Was, but I was hoping you'd have you know some new introduction or something. Yeah, I did. Instead of I calling did. yourself the diva of SLA and international superstar. You know, but, you know. Uh, we're going to get to New Year's resolutions in a minute, Walter, okay. so just <laughs> hang right. on. You know what I was thinking about the other day? Actually, I was thinking about um, when I was a kid in grade school, I would sit and think about how old I was going to be in the year 2000. Mm. Uh, you know? Would you like to divulge that to, that. The, no, to the audience? No, because you know what's sad now <laughs> sad is now that I'm at the age I'm at, I'm trying to remember the year 2000. <laughs> it's like, I, I, God, you know? Yeah, that it's was like, a long time ago. Y2K bug. You know what I say? Time flies when you're on Prozac. But enough about you guys. Let's talk about the New Year's resolutions. <laughs> Walter, did you make any New Year's resolutions? I did not. You did not? I did not. None. How about you? I, I don't know that I've ever made a New Year's resolution in my life. Really? I just know that I'm not very likely to actually yeah, follow exactly. through on things like that. So I just decided it's not worth it. Angelica, how about you? Sleep more, work less. Sleep more, work less. Yeah. I think I'll buy resolution. into that one, yeah. yeah. That's a good That's resolution. my New Year's resolution, my very first one. Sleep more, work less. I think I'll buy into that. Good well, deal. I'll I, join I, you. I'm going to keep my New Year's resolution to myself for right what? now. What? Come on. You can't it's do like, that. It's like, it's like a wish, like a birthday wish. If you say it out loud, it doesn't oh, come true. Okay. So if I talk about it, I won't do it. But if okay. I keep it to myself, and then I, then I know I'm going to do it. So what, only one? Only one. Oh, okay. Because the rest of the rest of me is perfect. I only need to, of course. I only need to work what on was one I thing. Thinking? Sorry, I only need to work on one thing. <laughs> wow. Well, we're hoping our our audience calls in today and tells us about their 2017 resolutions because everybody should have a, a 2017 teaching resolution. So we want you to call in and tell us at some point what are you going to do differently this year in your teaching? What are you going to do more of? What are you going to do less of? What's going to change in your teaching? So we want you to call and tell us that today. Don't. Don't type it into Mixler or tweet it. Call us in and tell us. We want to we hear what you're doing. Remember during our show, we have the SLA challenge question. I'm going to give you the question in a few minutes. And the first person to dial in, put down those Pringles and pick up the phone, will win a prize if they answer correctly. Ooh, Pringles. I want some. You want some Pringles? <laughs> See, that should be your resolution. Give up junk food right there. See, I just gave you one. I just gave you one. Okay, and the same but for the But you provide <laughs> all the junk food. That's the problem. I don't provide so. any junk food. Come on. Very intriguing. I, I have a thing of chocolates in yes. my office for students and people stop by. Yes. The and problem is you office? stop by every 10 minutes to get some chocolate. <laughs> That's what, the problem is not the, the basket of chocolates in Keep there. it away. Keep it away. Anyway, so yeah. So we have the SLA challenge question. Then we have the diva challenge question. I'll read that question at some point. And you have time to call in with the right answer and win a prize. And we got two good questions today. And, of course, we have Angelica's quote of the week. Correct, Indeed, Angelica? Indeed, yes. She has a good inspirational quote this mm -hmm. week. And Walter has a read of the week coming up later. Uh, the number to reach us at is 517-884-4321. Again, that's 517-884-4321. Dustin is on the phone lines waiting for your call. Angelica will be looking at Mixler, but, you know, Angelica's going to yell at you if you put questions on Mixler and don't call in because if you're on Mixler... That means you have time away from teaching to call in. All right, so don't be shy. Pick up the phone, 517-884-4321. Oh, my God. <laughs> Alice just stepped into my brain there. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, what's our topic this week, kids? I forgot. Speaking of Alice, what's our topic? It's something to do with uh, paradigms. paradigms. Yeah, 20 cents. We're talking about paradigms this week. No, paradigms with a D-I-G-M-S, paradigms. So what are paradigms? Are they real? And all this kind of stuff. Um, again, we want you to call in about that. 
Um, I will actually let me just let me just say a few things about paradigms just to launch into it. Okay, so what are paradigms? How do they fit into language teaching and so on? And this is actually related to um, our December show, myth number two, um, that people think that language speakers walk around with paradigms in their head. Well, they do not. Okay, so what's a paradigm? Everybody knows. Walter, give me a paradigm for the AR verbs in Spanish. Oh, as, a, amos, ais, an. Great. Uh, Angelica, give me a paradigm for uh, accusi- uh, for nominative and accusative articles in German. Der, and so on. Der, den. It's too complicated der, for den, this early die, in the day. Der, den, die, das, das. Sure, right? sure. Der, I have to think about that, yeah, actually. Here you go. See? Because Angelica doesn't have paradigms in her head. And in English, the verb to be. I be, you be, he be, she be, we be, they be. You'd be crazy is what you'd be. <laughs> you'd be on the streets looking for a job tomorrow. That's what you'd be doing. Okay. So that's what a paradigm is actually just a list of either conjugations or inflections or what Latin, people in Latin call declensions and so on. The question is, are these real? Do people have these things in their head? They don't. They don't. Um, they are the way we talk about language, uh, the way we list them in textbook. But these things aren't real in the sense that that's how it's organized in anyone's head. And that's true whether you're a first or second language learner. So let's talk a little bit about how people learn verb endings, how they learn case marking in German and Russian and so on. How do they do this? There are actually competing views on this. And I think what we're starting to see now from the research is that even if you are explicitly taught, Walter, what is it again? You're explicitly taught, oh, us. Yes. Even if you explicitly taught that and you practice that, that's not how that gets in your head. Um, what you hear is you have you hear lots of examples of the verbs in Spanish, I speak, I eat, I study, I go. You learn all these things as whole words. So you're hablo, como, corro, and all this kind of stuff. And you store them as whole words. Then you also hear things like he speaks. Uh, he runs, so on, so on. So what you wind up doing early on and for a long time is you store whole words um, with the endings attached to them. You don't learn a root and learn an ending and combine them. And then what happens over time is when your mental lexicon, that's your little dictionary in your head, Walter, because you're looking at me kind of funny, I can tell. That mental <laughs> okay. lexicon in your head, when it builds up enough and you've got enough of these examples in your head, then you can generate, you can split off those endings when you want to generate new words or you want to comprehend words you haven't heard before. Um, again, uh, that's, that's, I think, what the consensus is where we're heading right now in the research. So eventually you, you can strip off endings, but there's no, set of, there's no paradigm list in your head. The endings exist on words that you're able to peel off in real time, literally in micro milliseconds when you need them. Um, and, that's, and that's how those things wind up in your head. So paradigms aren't psychologically real. I don't know why we make people learn them. Um, probably out of habit. Remember, as I said before, we've been everything is based on the teaching of Latin from the last two thousand years. So we're basically still teaching Latin in one way or another. I have, okay. a, I have a story to tell. Okay. Uh oh, is it going to be a long one? It won't I be know a how long you are. one. No, it won't be long. <laughs> All right. Come on, Bill. One time, one time I was serving on jury duty, and see, already it's going to be a long delicacy. <laughs> Go ahead. And there was a retired Spanish teacher there, and he found out that I taught Spanish. And he wanted to, his most exciting thing that he wanted to tell me was how he taught the endings for the imperfect of AR verbs in Spanish. <laughs> That's awesome. And it was the following. Aba, abas, aba, abamos, abais, aban. And that's how he taught that to his students, and he thought it was the most creative thing he had ever thought of in his life. So he would chant the endings of the, inf- the, the imperfect AR verbs in Spanish. Nice. You know what we would say useful. in the South? You know what we would say in the South about that? Oh, boy, I can imagine. We would yeah. just go, bless his heart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. I won't tell you what my grandmother would say in Spanish. About that, but <laughs> poor guy. Oh, well. He was doing the best he could at the time, right? That's right. There you go. All right. Um, okay, so if you want to reach us and talk about paradigms or anything else, you don't have to talk about paradigms and how they're learned. Um, but that's our topic if, we, if you want us to talk about it. And our phone number again is 517-884-4321. 517-884-4321. Okay, we got some things hot off. Hot off the Twitter press. The Twitter press. The Twitter press. Right. I've got a, I got one of my uh, trainers that I work out with occasionally is uh, from the eastern side of the UK. He says, bottle, yeah. bottle. He's, coll- he's collecting bottles. 
Bottles. <laughs> so, bottles. Bill, you got me bottles. Got a water bottle. Got bottles. Um, because they're turning them in for cash for his <laughs> doc, the soccer team that he coaches. Sam's a great guy. Okay, so here's the, the, the question that Luca put out for people. Do you currently teach traditional paradigms in your language classroom? Um, and 19% said yes. They were like your guy that you knew in the jury duty. 31% said yes, but phasing them out. And then 50% said no. So that's interesting. So 50-50. So 50-50. Mm-hmm. So 50 said no. 51 version of yes. Yes or yes, but I'm phasing them out. So hurry up and phase them out, that 31%. You don't need them. Okay, we have a couple of people who responded to some of the topic here about that uh, in commenting on whether or not they do that. Darren said sort of, but I do it through structured input. Um, Gina said, I sometimes use pop-up grammar, but I wonder if that too may be a waste of time. Gina, if you ask me, I will tell you an answer to that because you put little question marks after that. I wonder if that may be a waste of time. If you ask me, Gina, I will tell you what I think about that. Um, Tim says, no, with a little confession. I do some paradigms, verb charts, but the first one students see is in December. I could dump them all together. Right, there you go. And then Amanda says, I have to, little sad face she would put there. Um, but I try to focus on communication and CI, communica- comprehensible input. Great. Um, all right, so there's another question that Luca threw out. What's your take on teaching paradigms? Um, Ginny said, inefficient shortcut. I wonder what Ginny meant by inefficient. I, I don't know. I guess you'll have to ha- I ask her to call in. She, yeah, but she says inefficient shortcut, artificial. I still do it, but with gestures so that later I can help students self-correct with just a sign. I think you're trying to have your cake and eat it too there, Jenny. Sorry. Um, inefficient, I would say they're not inefficient. I would just say they don't do anything at all. It's not an inefficient shortcut. It's not a shortcut at all. Um, so sorry, Jenny. Call me if you want to complain to me about what I just said. Um, and then longinus or longinus, depending on which version of Latin you want to use said, waste of precious time and headspace. I guess we know where he stands on that, right? <laughs> he and I are going to have a drink together and talk about that. I love, <laughs> I like that. Oh, here's Jeff. I love this. This should be your quote of the week on Gallagher. You know what Jeff said about paradigms? What did he say? With, uh, answering the question, what's your take on teaching paradigms? He said, still remember Spanish conjugations from high school, but I can't speak Spanish. Mm. So yep. there you go. That's what our friends on the Twitter press and Lang chat said. So, all right, let me give the SLA question so we can get people calling in. We want people calling in. What do you think about paradigms? Confess. Come on, this is 2017. Call in and say you're going to do less of it this year. That'll be your New Year's resolution. Okay, here's our SLA challenge question. Ready? Walter and Gallica? I'm ready. Absolutely. Okay. Is it an easy one? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because it, I'm trying to relate it to paradigms, right? All right. Which of the following strands of second language research is most relevant to the acquisition of paradigms? Morpheme order research or developmental stages research? I repeat, which of the following strands of second language research is more relevant to the acquisition of paradigms? Morpheme order research or developmental stages research. And Eric, if you're listening, I know you know the answer to this. You better call in. You're due for some coasters. Okay. <laughs> he I hasn't know. gotten any yet? I don't know if he's got any or not, but hmm. I know Eric knows the answer to that question. A lot of people know the answer to that question, not just Eric, but Eric's too shy to call in. He's like that Whitney Houston song, but I'm too shy. You know that Whitney <laughs> Houston song? Nope. I don't. Uh, no. It was her first big hit. Huh. How will I know if he, oh, if really, he really loves, loves me. me? Yeah, okay. What's that song called? Um, How Will I Know. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Alice. (laughs) 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 All right. Walter, while we're waiting for the phones to ring and call in and win those fabulous prizes and talk to us about paradigms, why don't you tell us, uh, do you have a reading this week? I do. Ring phones ring. We want to hear from you. Is this Reader's Digest? This This is Reader's Digest. Oh, my gosh. Yes, indeed. I mean, no. Yes, indeed. Uh, This is hot off the presses, ladies and gentlemen. Hot off the presses. Foreign language antles. (laughs) Antlers. Foreign language antlers. My gosh, come on, I work with those people. Come on. (laughs) Foreign language antles, winter. I was combining the two words there. Winter 2016, although I think I got it in 2017, but that's all right. Uh, Winter 2016 just came out, ladies and gentlemen. The very, very first article in the Foreign Language Annals, Winter 2016, is an article by... 
a man named Bill Van Patten from oh, Michigan yay. State University. Oh, and I know says, him. I know him too. Does it Strange. say Diva under his name, an international superstar, Walter? <laughs> it doesn't. I was actually surprised where it says Bill Van Patten, PhD, University of Texas at Austin, is professor of Spanish and second language studies, Michigan State University, East Lansing. I was surprised not to see mm-hmm. Diva and there. Diva, you know, yeah. Well, I put yeah. it in. I, they edited that. No, go they ahead. So what's this? <laughs> tell me what the article is. All right. The article is called Why Explicit Knowledge Cannot Become Implicit Knowledge. And so we actually talked about this I don't know, a few months back, it, mm-hmm. it's a response to an article uh, that was published earlier uh, in 2016 by Linseth. So uh, it's Bill's response to that article, and I think it would be a good read. And by the way, Linseth did do a good article, so this is not really... It's actually more of a, of a, a discussion about the field more generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah, thank you for bringing that up, Walter. I had fun writing that. Yeah. Well, I think our listeners will have fun reading it also. Well, good. And those of you out there, it's, it's written, it's for the foreign language annals crowd. So um, if you're interested in that topic, get in there and read that because I wrote it just for you. Um, good. Oh, we got a call already. Uh, we have Dana from VA. Angelica, what state is VA? Virginia. Good, good. Not to be confused with? Vermont. Or, doesn't have an A in it. Or any other V states? The VA hospital. The Virgin Island. The VA hospital. <laughs> okay. You're going to be in the VA hospital tomorrow. There's your B verb. Okay. What other state is there with a V? That's it. Oh. Just the Virgin Islands. Is that okay. a state? No. Poor Dana's waiting on the phone. Can we get Dana on the line <laughs> here? Dana, yes, are you yes. on the phone waiting for us? Yes. Hello. Hey, Dana. Welcome to Tea with BVP. How you doing? Thanks. I'm well. How are you guys? Doing great. Good. Surviving the weather here. How's, are you gonna get an, are you gonna get any ice or snow in Virginia this this time around? We got a little bit, but it's super warm today. It's like sixty degrees. Ooh. Oh, okay. So it's not gonna stick. Yeah, send we got, that our way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that'd be like that's like what June here, <laughs> right? Yeah, I lived in Michigan for a little while. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, we love it here. Don't get us wrong. We love it here. All right. So you're calling because the sign says in front of me that you want to answer the SLA question, correct? Yes. Well, good for you. Okay, so let me repeat the question for the audience, and then you can tell us what the answer is. Okay, so here goes. Which of the following strands of research is most relevant to the acquisition of paradigms? Morpheme order uh, research or developmental stages research? And Dana says... Morpheme order research. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. Everybody out there, if they don't remember, morphemes are those little pieces of words that carry meaning, little pieces of words are the smallest unit of language carry meaning. So verb endings carry meaning, noun endings carry meaning, inflections often carry meaning. Those are morphemes. And that's the most relevant research to looking at how those things are acquired over time. So good for you, Dana. Thank you for that. Um, I know you gave all your information to Dustin, so we'll send you out your prize in the next couple of days. Hopefully the weather won't delay it getting to you. Anything else you want to talk about today? You're just calling in for the quiz. Just calling in, just listening to you guys in my office. All right. Well, awesome. All right. Well, you hang out in your office and have fun and say hi to the people while they walk by. Okay. Thanks, right. guys. Thanks okay. for calling in, Dana. Take care. Bye, Dana. Bye, Dana. Bye. Yeah, I like it when people call in and win something. I have a question from Donna. May I ask Donna's question? Donna, Donna, Bobana. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, Donna. Oh, oh, sorry. Seriously, Walter. Really? Okay, here's Donna's question. She writes, When I went to Spain for college, third year of university, I had very weak skills. What I remember from the three years of high school Spanish were the verb charts for eight to ten tenses we made over and over for multiple verbs. The teacher had 20 or so high-frequency verb infinitives on the left side of the blackboard all three years. What helped to catch on very quickly was remembering the visual of those verb conjugations in my head. Am I a unique case? Would you consider those charts I could visualize as paradigms? Uh, you're not a unique case. Almost everybody who's ever taken a language class could talk about something similar, Donna. What you're forgetting is that that's not, if you speak Spanish fluently, that's not how those things got in your head. You develop some explicit knowledge, you remember those things, but in the meantime, in the back of your head, bit by bit, this, this, this system of verbs was building up in your lexicon. And for you to be functionally fluent in Spanish, you cannot be consulting a paradigm in your head. It doesn't work that way. Um, so, yes, we can all. I mean, I, rem- I remember my French classes. I can talk to you about paradigms, mm-hmm. but I can tell you right now that 
because I've done a lot of introspection on myself on this too, is that, is that um, that's not how they're in my head. I know they're not. Um, so I think we have to be careful about trying to remember what we did explicitly, but how implicitly things get in our head. Those are two different things. So no, Donna, you're not unique. Um, and it's a very good question you asked. So thank you for bringing that up. That was actually very good. Thank you, Angelica. Absolutely. No, thank you, Donna. Um, okay, let me throw out the Diva Challenge question now for people. Um, and this is an easy one. I bet Walter can answer this one. But don't shout out the answer, Walter, because you want people to call and win a prize. <laughs> All right, I won't. Okay, so here it goes. What pop diva made her film debut in the 2010 movie Burlesque? Okay, I shall repeat. What, <laughs> what, I don't think Walter knows the answer I know, I can that. tell. What, po- what? Don't make me laugh, Walter. What pop diva made her film debut in the 2010 movie Burlesque? Or, as they actually used to call it by those people who committed it, Burly Q. Did you know that? Burlesque used to be called Burly Q. Ooh. By the people who committed it? Was it was Broadway with an X rating. Love Burlesque. Okay, anyway, so if you know the answer to that question, call in and you win a prize. And here's a hint. I picked this one on purpose because the person who was in that movie speaks Spanish hmm. and English. So she's a bilingual. Mm-hmm. She's related mm-hmm. to our, our field. So that's good. All right. Uh, what else is going on? No phones are ringing. People are being lazy today and not calling in. I have questions on email. Well, ask us a question on email. All right. Walter. This one is coming from Russ in Oregon. He says... Russ Oregon. I'm going to okay. call him Russ Oregon. He says, love the show. Thanks so much for all you do. Oh, Russ, we love you too for all you do. I don't know what you do, <laughs> but we love you. Go ahead. And he says the following. My question is that some of my colleagues have argued that teaching paradigms allows students to be able to apply a pattern to many verbs, making them easier to use. Is this true? Does teaching verb forms make it easier to use verbs? Answer. Is I've already answered that. I will answer it again. The answer is no. Um, again, the, the, the answer to that question lies in the question itself or the statement. Patterns. There are no patterns in your head for anything. Um, that's not how language... Language is not a set of patterns. We've talked about this before, the nature of language. Um, and again, a lot of the times that people think these things that work, it's because they don't have a working definition or construct for language. Um, and so once, once we work through that, which I invite everybody to read that article that Walter brought up, um, even though it's not about paradigms, it is can be applied to talking about paradigms. That explicit knowledge cannot turn into implicit knowledge, and it tells you why. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so Russ, learning, tell your colleagues that learning those quote-unquote patterns does little because there are no quote-unquote patterns in your head in the end. That's not what's in your head or anybody's head for that matter. Um, it's, they're good for taking a test, though. My gosh, they're good for taking a test. If you learn all those patterns and things, you can take a good test. And if that's what you're, <laughs> no, you can. If that, yeah. no, I mean a lot of a lot of programs are test based, and if that's what you, if you got to take a test on stuff, then maybe you should stay those things. But if proficiency and acquisition is your goal, then um, then those things don't help, and maybe the testing should be something else. So Kurt is actually asking a related question here. Kurt, Kurt, yes. He asks, so why do paradigms continue to appear in modern language textbooks, including BVP's own materials like, I don't speak Spanish, Vistazos, maybe? Vistazos. Aha. Would schools or departments not purchase these if they didn't, or is there some value to paradigms? Well, we got a question from Kurt from Fort Lee, New Jersey. I can't do that accent anymore. (laughs) Anyway, so Kurt, (laughs) Rosanna, Rosanna, Dana, Uh, Kurt... um, Yes, Vistazos. If you go to the original first edition of Savias K, that Vistazos is based on, there were no paradigms. Hmm. We had to put them in to make it to second edition because you just answered the question, books don't sell if that stuff's not in there. Um, and so remember, books are not about acquisition. Books are commercial products to sell things to people who buy them. And so until, we've said this before, I'll say it again, until teachers overwhelmingly request different products from publishers, you're going to get the same old thing. It's like, I talked about this in a 1998 article, it's like detergents in the grocery store, right? Didn't we talk about this on the air once before? We did, yes. Yes. I don't remember that. Well, okay, well, I will, for Angelica's sake, I will, I will repeat. <laughs> Alice. I will do the analogy. <laughs> I will do the analogy again. So you go into the grocery store, and there's a whole array of detergents. 
on the shelf, right? Mm -hmm. And when you look at those detergents, you go, what's the difference between that detergent, that detergent, that detergent, that detergent? That, they're all the same if you read the ingredients. Some have a brightener in them. Some have a little this and that. Some are HE, high, what do you call it, high energy for high mm -hmm. energy washers. High efficiency. Some, high efficiency. Some aren't. Blah, blah. But they all have basically the same cleaning agent in them for getting your clothes clean. And if you go back 20 years, if you go back 30 years, the ingredients were the same back then. And I guarantee you in 10 years, it'll probably be the same until there's a breakthrough in science. Um, why? Because that's what people want. And people, and, and people market detergents to people for what they want. Um, and so textbooks are like that. They all look the same. They all have the same stuff in them because that's what people want. That's what people buy. And so until there's a scientific revolution among language teaching, you're going to get the same old materials. And those of us who try to do something different meet with resistance um, from publishers and, and, and also the public because people just don't want that. They want, they want their rules and their paradigms and their charts and things. So there. Excellent. Would you like another question? Yes, no, please. I think I'll just sit here in silence and meditate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm this is from Ryan in Texas. I like that name, Ryan. Did you see the movie Gravity? Yes. With that, that was, what's her name? Uh, Sandra Bullock's name in the movie, Ryan. Oh, yeah, that's true. Remember Ryan Stone? Oh. I guess I don't that remember that. Movie. I did see the movie, but I didn't remember that was mm -hmm. her name. Mm -hmm. But anyway, okay, so this is what Ryan says from okay, Ryan. Texas. He says, Hit me, Ryan, from Texas. What specific studies are out there that show that teaching par paradigms is ineffective? Dun, dun, dun. Do they exist? Uh, the studies? There's Correct. no specific study, Ryan, that shows that teaching paradigms doesn't do anything. What we have is accumulated evidence over the years that the result, that what happens when you test learners all along the trajectory of classroom language learning, when they're getting paradigms, paradigms don't show up in their speech. And that's one of the reasons we believe that, one of the reasons um, we believe that um, paradigms, not paradigms, but verb forms emerge over time based on the lexicon, based on your exposure to input. Um, for example, we did a study, this is a study though that, that you can look at, Ryan. We published one in 2012, Michael Leeser, Greg Keating and I, in a journal called um, Linguistic Approaches to Bilingualism, where we looked at, at some syntactic things and then verb forms. And uh, what we tested learners on was a, uh, a set of sentences where they couldn't, the stuff they weren't taught and had to do with underlying rules of movement in the language and so on. Um, and then we tested them also on things they were taught, which happened to be present tense verb forms. Um, and the way they were tested was through a self-paced reading where they had grammatical and ungrammatical versions of sentences. And the study was not about teaching, but one of the conclusions you can make from this is what happened to the teaching. So here's what we found out. Compared to native speakers, these were third-year university students who were taking their beginning culture and lit courses. So they had like three years of oh, os, os, amos, and blah, blah, blah. And every time they learn a new verb tense or mood or something, they got the same, you know, they got that over and over again. And some of them come from high school and got it in high school. Um, and so what we found was on this test of the stuff they weren't taught, they patterned just like the native speakers on the self-paced reading test, where we measure unconscious reaction time. On the part of the test that dealt with grammatical for, uh, verb, for, uh, verb forms, when they match or didn't match the subject, they did not pattern like native speakers. In fact, the reading time suggested that they weren't even able to detect ungrammatical sentences when the verb was next to the subject. So the question we had, well, not in that study, but I had afterwards, because I talk about this study sometimes to teachers, is what happened to all that years of teaching and practicing verb forms? And these were basic sentences, Walter, like the following, because Walter's looking at me. These are basic sentences like, right now I am drinking a soda in the cafeteria. The basic present tense, like that. And so I am drinking in Spanish would be tomo. And they would get either yo tomo or yo toma. Uh, and they could also get el toma for he drinks or el tomo, which is ungrammatical because you're saying he, I drink, or I'm drinking. And they did not even detect that those sentences were ungrammatical, whereas they, they detected ungrammaticality on the syntactic stuff they were never taught. 
Interesting, isn't it? So anyway, so very the, interesting. the question I have for Ryan, anyway, for Ryan is we don't have any study that specifically looks at that, but whenever we wind up testing learners on things, whatever teaching and explicit practice and knowledge that just doesn't show up. So it makes it suspect. Jason is asking if there are studies that show that teaching paradigms does facilitate acquisition. Nope. Are you familiar with there, any? There aren't any at all that I know of. In fact, nope, there aren't any. Aren't any at all. None at all. None at all. None at all. None at all. Now, there are some people who claim, without any evidence, well, you could have a delayed effect, or somehow it could have some hidden effect and so on. But again, if, if you hear that from people, that's all speculation. There is no research to support that that I know of. So unless someone's hiding it from me, that's possible. <laughs> that's possible. So no one's calling with a diva challenge question oh, no. answer. Maybe you can repeat it. I know I should, huh? Yep. Okay, let me repeat the question. Then we're going to have you give up the quote of the week. Okay, okay, ready? So let me give Maybe the quote of the week will challenge people to call mm, in with a diva mm-hmm. answer. Okay. Here we go. Here's the diva challenge question. What pop diva made her film debut in the 2010 movie Burlesque? Ah, I'm so disappointed people aren't calling in on this. Okay, Angela, give us your quote of the week. It's time for that. Yes. We're halfway through the show. My quote of the week. Of the week. Did you hear that? That was L1 Interference. It's finest. Yes. I like it. It wasn't intentional. The quote of the week is as follows. Should I read it in, in German, in, in, in English? Frau, what's her name? Frau Okay, here's a quote. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life, and the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking. Don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know when you find it. Thank you, Steve Jobs. Great quote. I like that. When you know it, you found it. Yes. You've got to, what does he say? You got to love doing it? How does he say that? What was it? What was it? Um, yeah. The only way I to do to great work is to l- <laughs> love what you do. Come <laughs> on, Walter. My goodness. You may be looking for one sooner than you think. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it up. Uh-huh, uh-huh. As Maude used to say on the TV show, God will get you for that, Walter. I've always wanted to say that and mean it. Oh, my God, I just did it. There you go. God will get you for that, Walter. All right. Okay, so where are we? Ask me a question. No one's calling in. I'm foot-tutzed. Okay, well, I'm I have flummoxed. five million questions. Karen okay. was asking um, just after you, you mentioned that there are no studies. Um, she's asking, really, none of the explicit grammar studies like um, Norris and Ortega, for example, looked at explicit grammar instruction on verb forms? Nope, not, not in the way people are asking. Nope. So, Karen, no. Hmm. So that goes. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. We did a, uh, one of my former students, her dissertation, this will follow up, Teresa Cardierno. We did a famous Van Patten Cardierno study um, that launched the whole processing instruction stuff, which is not traditional instruction, not about paradigms. And it's not about learning rules, not about learning patterns, so get it out of your heads. That it is. Um, she did a follow up study where she, and that study was about word order and object pronouns and things like that. Um, she did a follow-up study with uh, Preterick and, um, th- and found and compared processing instruction, traditional instruction with Preterick and found, guess what? That when you learn, quote-unquote learn, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm being really grossly and negligent here and using these terms because people are going to interpret the study incorrectly. So may a cool book because I know you will. But she found out that on the post-tests, which were all processing tests, not paper and pencil tests, on the processing tests, she found out that the processing group that got input did great on both input and output-based processing tests. The traditional group that got practice and paradigms for the uh, verb forms did the output task okay, but they couldn't understand a Mm -hmm. verb form Mm -hmm. when they heard one. So that tells you something right there. That's kind of a study. So Karen, there's no study out there like that. Um, that was included in the Norris Ortega meta-analysis, by the way, um, but it was not about teaching paradigms, but it did, was about teaching some verb forms to see what happened. But again, I hesitate to use the word teaching because processing instruction is not about teaching something per se in the tr- classic sense. Um, all right. Um, 
There's another Karen asking if you can. Oh my um, God, they're coming out of the woodwork today. Karen, Karen, <laughs> this. Karen if squared. If you can define paradigm again. Paradigm. I don't know if I got a good definition of paradigm because when you look at the technical definitions, it's a term borrowed from uh, like philosophy and science, which has to do with, you know, your way of looking at the world, blah, blah, blah. Um, but we use paradigm or paradigms in language teaching and language acquisition to talk about um, the systematic organization, if you want to call it that, in a chart form of verb endings or noun endings or article endings, depending. So normally it's verbal inflections or nominal inflections, like case endings. Um, so again, so the example in Spanish would be a, the paradigm for present tense is O marks first person singular, S marks second person singular, nothing marks third person singular, MOS, most marks first person plural, IS, is marks second person plural, and N on the end of a thing marks, a verb marks um, third person plural. So that would be the paradigm for um, present tense in Spanish. Uh, and then in German, we gave the example of case endings in German. I would love to be able to do Russian, but my Russian is so rusty on all the case endings, and there's so many of them anyway. So, oh, great. Oh, there's a call coming through. My God, these people from the South got nothing better to do <laughs> than call us with their good weather. Rachel, are you on the phone? I am. Rachel, are you here to call us to tell us about the great weather you're having in Georgia compared to what we're experiencing here in Michigan today? If it makes you feel better, until today, it's been really, really cold. Yeah. Okay, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> Define yeah, really, exactly. really cold. <laughs> Um, 40s. Oh 50s. my God! I go out in oh, a 50s. I go nice. out in a t-shirt and shorts to get my mail in the 40s. Come on! Uh, I have to wear my like big coat for that sort of weather. I remember that just real quick, and then I know you're, what you're calling about. But I remember one time I was doing a guest lecture uh, in Tallahassee. Actually, I was there for a week um, doing some things uh, in Tallahassee at Florida State University, and I was standing outside my hotel waiting to be picked up by my friend who's taking me to campus. And I'm there, you know, in my long sleeve shirt and my jeans or whatever I'm wearing. And I see all these kids walking by, fur coats and so on. It was like, you know, 50 degrees. <laughs> and so I asked my friend, yeah. what are these people with the fur coats? He goes, oh, they're from Miami. <laughs> 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 it's true. Anyway. All right, Rachel, yeah. you're calling uh, to answer the Diva Challenge question, correct? Yes. Okay, let me. I believe it. Okay. Go ahead. Let me, let me, let me right. read the question and then you can answer the question. <laughs> are you ready? Here we go. Yes. What pop diva made her film debut in the 2010 movie Burlesque? The answer is? That for the debut, it would be Christina Aguilera. Yay! Yay! Ding, 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 ding. Yes. Of course, there was also Cher in there, but, but that's not her debut. No, do you remember Cher's film debut? That's a different diva question, but... Yeah. <laughs> Don't give it away. Um, you might want to use it in the future. Okay, I won't say it. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and say it. I'm not going to use it in the future. I have no idea. Did you know? Do you know? Rachel? Oh, do I know? Um, I'm thinking between two. I'm going to go for Mermaids? Nope. That was later. Was it Mask? She was already, no, she was already Oscared uh, by wow. the time she got Mermaids. Okay. Then and, I don't know. And Mask was one of her Oscar-nominated movies. Her first movie, I yeah. believe, was uh, Silkwood. Okay. Silkwood. With a Meryl Streep. Huh. All right. I haven't seen that one. I should look for it. You should look for it. It's good. She has a secondary role. She's not a star in that. Well, she's a star, but she, she, the main star was Meryl Streep. But anyway. Right. Well, good. All right. I know you gave your information to Dustin, so congratulations. Your prize is on its way to you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Thanks and have for a calling, great, Rachel. Have a great 50-degree day. Oh, I think it's warmer than that today. <laughs> you guys. Bye-bye. Have, have <laughs> Bye. a good day. All right. <laughs> Bye, Rachel. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, good. We're giving prizes. I feel like Oprah Winfrey. Look under your seats, kids. It's probably going to be a it's Buick a under your seats. There exactly. You go. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. There you go. All right, we have uh, do we have a call coming. In? I can't tell what's going on, on the screen. What's Luca doing there with the screen? Um, <laughs> something's something's something's. Look oh, I think it was that. a I think it was a technical issue. They're trying to put the phone through to our speaker system. So we got oh <laughs> Jason from California is calling. Finally back from jury duty. It says, "Hey Jason, how are you doing?" Congratulations. I'm 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 well. How are you? This must have been some. Was this like the trial of the century down there? What was going on? Can you talk no, about well, it? I'm no, I just, no one was calling in, and I thought, okay, I have to call in. I don't have a class right now, and I'm not trapped in jury duty. So, yeah, no, it was, it was an interesting case. I don't want to talk too much about it, though, because I don't want to be a, uh, identified as a juror that uh, 
mm. cause the person to be convicted. So, <laughs> oh, so um, the person got oh, convicted. Okay. Oh, so the trial's still going oh. on? No, no, no. The, the, the it's over. It's over with. But oh. um, any anyway, it was it was really interesting. If no one's ever done jury duty, I highly recommend it. This was and actually a lot of the testimony was in Spanish, so that oh. made watching the simultaneous translation really interesting. That's a job I would not want to do every day. Oh my. Yeah. But. Um, Did you no, hear my just, story about my jury duty experience, Jason? No, I don't know. What See, J- Jason, this is duty? this is tea with Walter. This is not tea. <laughs> with tea. It always comes back to Walter. Hey, we love Walter and Yay. we love Angelica. I'm just kidding. Well, you'll have to listen to the beginning of the show and you can hear about my jury duty experience. <laughs> okay, I, I had a class, so I missed the first few minutes. I'll go back and. and he, he actually it was topically relevant to the show, actually. So it was a good it was a good <laughs> jury duty story. Anyway, Jason, so you're calling in with a comment or a question? or so, Yeah, it's, it's related to some of the things that I've seen on Mixler and like the comment that I wrote in on Mixler. And it, it just seems like there's always this desire from the profession for, um, there's always this question of, well, can you prove to me that la- language acquisition works? But it seems like there's, no one's ever questioning, we're not questioning, where's the research to support explicit grammar instruction? Right, and that and why, that why I just is, gave two examples of that. More? Yeah, I just yeah. Gave, I gave and, two examples that doesn't. Yeah, one one thing that I think of a lot of times because I work now with elementary and we talk about we take a break and we look at we use a portfolio and we, we do I can you know the, the can do statements and um, we talk just briefly in English about what does it mean to know a language and I mention to them that sometimes their parents or other adults will tell me. You know, I, I know a language because that's one of the things in the, in the, you know, they put in languages they know in the portfolio. And, and they say, um, I'll have adults, like especially parents, they'll say, I, I speak Spanish, for example. I just don't understand it very well. And I think maybe that's that issue of they've learned explicit information about language, but they don't actually, um, they don't have the ability to comprehend uh, the language because they haven't acquired it. Right. But my next class is here, so I got to go. Oh, well, uh, okay. Well, we're, when you ha- you hang up, and, and we'll talk about you behind your back, but in a nice way, because <laughs> you made a really good comment, and we're going to continue the conversation without you, okay? This is a great, say, great Hola, comment. Hola, BBP. Hola, BBP. Hola, clase. Hola, clase. Okay. Gracias. Okay, Adios. bye, Jason. Bye. Thanks a lot. Yeah, he's, he's right. It's always the bur- – what's interesting is – Story after story after story after story after story after story. Like the one we got, what was it? From Jeff. Still remember Spanish conjugations from high school but can't speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. All the time. But we are supposed to prove that acquisition works. We're supposed to prove that something else works and not traditional one. With evidence staring us in the face, these other things don't really lead to acquisition. Um, so, um, I, I think he's right. And I just gave two examples of this research that I've been involved in that shows this stuff either on purpose, like the processing work we've done, processing instruction work, or stuff that, you know, you can derive that, that knowledge about traditional substance work when you look at the results, when you test people. I remember when I was teaching in the, in the public schools, I used to have French students or parents of some of my French students, they would come in and they would say... I took French when I was in high school, and they would they clearly under the audiolingual method because they could they could recite some sort of conversation or dialogue with me. They had no idea what they were saying anymore, but they still had that up in their head. They had yep. this dialogue there. I will actually tell you this: I dated somebody once. I'm not gonna. I've told this. T- yes, Dustin, I dated somebody once in my life. Dustin's <laughs> looking me through the glass. <laughs> <laughs> I have not been single for all these decades of my life. I was actually married for a while, too, you know, for 15 years, I'll tell you. Anyway, that didn't end well, let me tell you. <laughs> I was a first wife. Oh, well. <laughs> I, did. I got dumped for someone half my age. That's all right. Okay, so uh, it's true. Just true. Sad. Yeah, I know it's sad, but, you know, that's, that's quite all right. As I, as I told my class of the day, on a scale of 0 to 10, I'm a 15 and a half. Okay, so... <laughs> So I was dating this person, and we were at dinner, and starts saying, oh, I can speak French. I go, really? Okay, so I started speaking in French, and I said, you know, what are you going <laughs> to, what do you want to eat? What looks good on the menu? Could you repeat that, please? What, what looks good on the menu? What do you want to eat? 
oh, I don't know that dialogue. And then all of a sudden, this dialogue <laughs> yeah. from ALM starts coming out of his mouth. I'm going like, what? Yeah. What? You don't speak French. Okay. But I heard that all the time. It was a very common occurrence, so I would hear that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. All right. No phone calls coming in. Thanks, Jason, for calling. We love you. Okay. I've um, got a question on email. Otherwise, I'm going to tell a joke. Go ahead. <laughs> we don't want to hear any of your jokes. You, what do you uh, mean? My <laughs> jokes are awesome. <laughs> By the way, right. did you guys hear that? Those of you out there listening in Ohio, um, Luca asked me to, Luca, Lucas, Lucas, um, Hoffman, who's the president of OFLA, Ohio Foreign Language Association, that, that will be there at the end of the month of March doing Tea with BVP Live. But that Friday night at the reception, he's asked me to do stand-up comedy. Fun. Wow. Yeah, so. I'm not arriving till Saturday, right? Be prepared, people. <laughs> be prepared, people. No, we'll be there Friday. Be prepared, people. <laughs> I'm going to take Ohio by storm. Okay, go ahead, Walter. Wow. All right, well, uh, this question is from Merrily. And Merrily, uh, Merrily, we roll along. Uh, Merrily, Merrily, we roll Or Marily, I'm not sure how she would pronounce it. Um, uh, but anyway, basically her idea here is that uh, she teaches uh, in a private school and she teaches in the lower school, but the upper school uh, instructors, so middle school and upper school, uh, claim that they have to teach grammar rules because the universities in the area require these structures. And in order for the students to test out of the lower level classes, that they are required to recall grammar structures. She doesn't teach it in the lower school. She's not required to. But how would you respond to teachers who continue to teach grammar structures based on this point is her question. I would do this. You know, once a week, give your students some homework online because kids like online homework in high school anyway. It's easy to do. Just they can find that stuff online. They can do it for free. And then you look at it and you, tell, you give them a little test now and then. And they, then they can take that test when they get to college and perform if that's the case. Don't, don't I mean... Uh, there's there's more to it than that. Don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't be flipping about it. But um, you could also do the following: do what you want to do, and those who are going to go on to college, maybe the last semester give a crash course, crash course in explicit grammar, so they can take a test. Um, but it's unfortunately universities, major universities, if not most of them. I I, written, I wrote about this the last couple of years. Got me in hot water. Uh, most universities are behind the times. They're just behind the times when it comes to this kind of stuff. And it's unfortunate, and it really puts a lot of pressure on the middle schools and the high schools who really are trying to change, who go, but then I get this pushback from universities. Um, and normally you could just tell these teachers, do what you want to do because you're the expert, right? But then it's the parents who come and say, oh, my Johnny did not place into you know, Spanish 3, level 3 in college, and you didn't do your job, and... What about the AP exam and all these things? And, and so I feel really sorry for the middle school and high school teachers because they get caught between a rock and a really hard place. Um, so we just need to educate people. And it's, it's, it's going to be one of those top-down things. I hate to say top-down because that sounds awful. But it's got to be universities have to change. We have to start changing things so that we can fix that. So, um, But there are more than one way to skin that kitty cat which is a terrible metaphor, but we say it anyway in English, skinny cat. Anything on Mixler and Gallica? Oh, lots of things on Mixler. Tell me something. Mixlerize me. Oh, I don't even know where to start. I think I'm going to throw what Steve said earlier, if I can even find that again. So when we were talking about your textbook, which was called what? I can't Vistazos. do Vistazos. That one, exactly. Um, so he said... Basically, you are just making money and selling out, and why put your name on something you fundamentally disagree with? Ooh. Mm -hmm. Because Steve. if you look mm -hmm. at that, Steve, one of the things that all my books did, they were the first books on the market that got rid of drills, mechanical practice, and that kind of stuff. So those paradigms and rules are in there, but you don't really practice them. I got people to reconceptualize how to do some things in class because sometimes, I mean, I wouldn't, I'm not, a, I mean, when I teach, I'm not going to teach with that book, but, you know, Bessie in Minnesota or, or you know, Bubba in Texas who doesn't know, who, who, who can't teach differently gets this book and goes, hmm, I can make this small change and sometimes that change makes a difference. Um, so... And he's apologizing for being a sourpuss devil's advocate. Oh, Steve, I'm not. <laughs> I don't apologize. It's a perfectly legitimate thing to say. Um, but uh, 
again, I tried, look at the first edition of Sylvia's case, Steve. Go back and try to find a copy. You will go, oh, my God. People did not know what to do with that book. And Terry and Jim, my co-authors in that book, and I, the publishers, it sold okay in some places where people who were, you know, what do you call it? Um, avant- I want to say avant-garde, but who people in the know adopted it. So it, it adopted enough that we could make it to um, a second edition. But we were asked in the second edition, if you want to make the third edition, better make some changes. So all we did in the second edition was we reorganized a few things. And there aren't even real paradigms. So what happens is, for example, in lesson one of Savia's K in the second edition, you don't get I speak, you speak, we speak. All you get is he speaks, I speak, and you speak. You don't even get it all at once. Because the idea is you're talking about daily routine. So what you got is a bunch of visual at the beginning about somebody's daily routine. So when Manuel gets up, when he eats breakfast, when he has his first class, if he works, so when he works out, blah, 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 what he does at night, so on when he goes to bed. So that was your... And then you had a, a contrasting character, Elena, who had something too. What year was that first edition? First edition was 1992. Um, and so um, it was really ahead of its time. Mm. It, yeah, really ahead of its time. And so in the second edition, what we did is, is so that w- that's how you would start with the routines. And then about a third of the way through the chapter, you go, oh, by the way, if you want to talk about yourself, the verb ends in O. Mm-hmm. And you would look off to the right, and there'd be a little chart with all the verb forms, but highlighted would be the O form for s- talking about yourself. And then you had a bunch of interactive activities where you could talk about yourself. They were all input-based, and then moved you to output. Um, so, you, for example, your first activity would be a bunch of things in the yo form, and you, ch- you had to check off which ones you do every day. And then we had comparisons. So Angelica checked her list, and Walter, and I as a teacher would go, so Angelica, which one's in you? You would read out loud from the list. Mm-hmm. And uh, Walter, you had the same thing? He'd say, no, and then he'd say the ones he had. i go, and then we start tabulating, blah, blah, and find differences between people in class, blah, blah, blah. Um, so nobody sat there and practiced verb forms. Um, and it took you a number, it took you several weeks to get exposed to all the verb forms. Um, beca- but the little charts were in there. We, we fooled people in a certain sense. We told people, hey, here's a chart, but we're really not teaching these things. Mm. Uh, and so we got around it that way. Um, and that made a, th- that book was wildly successful for a, lo- a long time. We went to five editions. Huh. Um, but the pendulum swung back. And guess what happened? People wanted, habla, hablas, hablamos, hablais, hablan, blah, blah, blah. And so all your books now are coming out like that. And from people who, never mind, I won't say anything. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to say about that. So. But thank you, Steve. That was that was was that Steve? Yes. Yeah, Steve. That I'm not bothered by that question at all. That's a perfectly fine comment and que- or comment to make or question to ask. Walter, what are you looking at? I'm looking at Sub ESK, but it's the fifth edition. Yeah, you, you, I've got the first edition somewhere at home. If you want to look at it, I would love to look at Don't it. Do we have anybody? Just be, see, he's talking about his job, and he's not even doing his job. He's fooling around the internet. He's like shopping on Amazon.com. Oh no! And he's on eBay. <laughs> right. You should be in the imp- you should well, be in the two BBP Gmail. And I've got the Gmail. I've got it all ready to go for you. So he who's wants it? to buy that textbook of yours? Yeah, I was looking at your textbook, but I wasn't on eBay. <laughs> I was on Amazon.com, but they only have the fifth edition. Sorry. There you go. All right. So what uh, what preguntas do we have for? Do you have any more from Mixler? Oh my God. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, because I don't. I have some questions, but none of them are specifically connected to this this issue. So well, they don't have to be. But okay, we'll let Angelica go, and then we'll let Walter go. I don't want you guys fighting here. Okay, go. I like it. So Karen is asking, if you created a textbook now, what would you do differently? I wouldn't. If I did a textbook now, Uh I was gonna say I wouldn't do it. I would have a task. Driven text. Savius K tried to be task driven, but we had to modify. What we what Savius K was different about it, made it so different, was the end of the chapter lesson was a task that you were going to be able to do. And all along the way, what we did is we built up little bits and pieces of those tasks. The problem with those tasks is we had to modify them because we had to get topics in that people would want to see in a textbook. Mm-hmm. Now I wouldn't do that. Now I would do a test driven book and I would throw out all that. And it would all, I would look at what do, what do we need for intermediate mid-proficiency at the end of four semesters, for example. Hang on. Did you say you would do a test-driven book? Task. Oh, thank task-driven God. Task-driven okay. book. Okay. I, I heard saying for a moment. Um, <laughs> to, me, to me, the tasks are the test. The, ta- the uh, tests are the mm-hmm. tasks and tasks are the test. Okay. So a task-driven book, and it would, lo- it, would, it would look more like the first edition of CVSK, but it would be updated. And, um, and I would also do something modular because um, they would be completely thematic and task-tied. 
um, and uh, there'd be no charts and things like that. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. And I've actually, that's why I've not done another textbook since Soliviento, because I don't want to do another one of those kind of textbooks, unfortunately. I want to do something that really speaks to what contemporary language teaching should do. Um, but here's the problem. I'd have to self-publish because I've taken this idea to some publishers, and they go, mm. Mm. We actually had a focus group. I think I talked about this one time, about the focus group we did. And the people just could not get out. They were all people who understood the ACTFA guidelines. They could not They could not sit down and determine as a group, there were 15 or 20 of them in the room, what to get rid of if you're going to teach toward intermediate mid-proficiency for two years. Hmm. They could not get rid of anything in the grammatical scope and sequence of vocabulary topics. I was like, oh, my God. If you, and you claim to know the guidelines, and we're in trouble. Okay, Walter. All right. Here is a question from Ken. And Ken says, I have a five-year-old daughter. Her school wants to teach her sight words. The idea of only teaching sight words without context, such as seeing or hearing the words in a sentence, seems like that it becomes a mere memory exercise learning as opposed to acquiring the language. What are your thoughts on just reviewing sight words as a way to acquire language? Well, first of all, the five-year-old already has language. So what they're talking about is acquiring spelling and reading. That's different from language acquisition. Um, and there's research on this, actually, in child first language literacy. Um, guess how you learn to read, Walter? You read. You read. <laughs> um, guess how you learn to spell, Angelica? You spell? By reading. Oh man! Um, yeah, <laughs> um, this research was all done way back three, like three decades ago. There's was ton, not a ton, but a significant amount of research done on this um, that showed that children they did compare groups, for example, people who got phonics and sight reading and all this kind of stuff, where they were taught pieces and parts of stuff in isolation, and other groups who were just given books, like you know, see Dick Run, they taught how to read. Um, and then they compared their spelling, for example. And, of course, the group that got spelling and phonics and all that kind of stuff were better spellers by second grade. But by third grade, the people who got no spelling were as good as the other spellers. But guess what? They were better readers. So it was interesting. They got two for one. They got reading and spelling. It just their spelling was delayed. But So who cares if you can't spell when you're in the first grade? I'm going to spell when I'm going to... And it wasn't that they were bad spellers. just they couldn't spell everything, right? Mm -hmm. And so... Um, I mean, I'll, I'll say my son, who's now in third grade, when he, you know, he has spelling tests and he's had them since I think first grade. And I know in first grade, it was, we had to spend a lot of time with him working on the spelling words so he could pass the spelling, you know, do well on the spelling test, right? Well, now in third grade, he reads constantly. He loves reading, right? And so we, we almost, in the, in the, the spelling words are significantly more difficult, but I mean, he wanted me to look over spelling words with him last week because he... His teacher had them write down in their planner, study spelling words. He knew every single one of them. Huh. And it's not that he even spent time studying sure, them. It's sure. just that he's, he's done so much reading that he, he knows those words. So. Right. And we have research that people who read more tend to be better writers, too. There's a correlation between reading and writing, not between spelling and writing or practicing and writing and so on. And that's true in the second language context as well. Well, kids, look what time it is. It's time to start Whoa. wrapping wow. up. Our first show of 2017. Yeah. Got a few phone calls. I mean, I'm disappointed in our audience. I, I love them to death, but they need to start calling in. Mm. Call Otherwise, in. Call we just make in. this an online show and you can just like dial it. You can just. Okay. We want to thank our technical producer, Daniel Trago. Hey, Daniel. Thank you. Our media producer, Luke Giappone, who forgot his jacket today. The talented and trusted <laughs> call handler and muscle man, Dustin DeFelice. Our wonderful assistant production manager, Jeff Maloney who's working on his, he's getting, gearing up to do his, his dissertation soon. Oh, yeah. The College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University, especially our dean, Christopher Long. Check out their website again. I always say that, but please check it out, see what podcasts are going on. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any other official entity of Michigan State University. Half the time, I can't even tell if they reflect what I think, because I can't remember from one minute to the next what I've said. <laughs> and, of course, we thank all of you listeners out there as well. So join us next week. Guess what our topic is next week, Walter? I don't know. What Angelica. No idea. We're going to revisit the topic of speaking in second language acquisition and it's uh, speaking and it's role in second language acquisition. Alrighty. So cool. We're going to talk about output, speaking, interaction, all those things. So until next week, 
Don't forget Martin Luther King Day. Celebrate it. We get a day off. I'm excited. And happy second language acquisition to everybody. See you later. Bye, everybody. Bis nächste Woche.